sincerest gratitude to each and every one of you for being here today. Just yesterday we celebrated Balaram Jayanti, the appearance day of Lord Sri Balaramji. Some of us were at the Kumbha Mela for this event in Panchavati or Nasik. At Ramkund, there was, according to government statistics, approximately 1.5 million people bathing on that day in the River Godavari. And there was a procession among the various akaras or spiritual groups that was going to the Ramgat. And as we were proceeding, I was seeing tens and thousands of people standing on both sides of the road watching the different spiritual groups passing and how they were most all of them with such hopeful faithful simple eyes offering their pranams or offering incense or offering some deep or lamps seeking blessings And I was remembering Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He said the first quality of a true Vaishnava or devotee is simplicity. Simplicity of heart. That means to be without duplicity. It means... in the truest sense to have no ulterior motives for a devotee to truly want to receive Krishna and serve Krishna where there is crookedness where there is ulterior motives where there is egoistic motives then true bhakti cannot grow within the heart It's like a precious plant if it's being strangled by weeds and if the ground around it is filled with all kinds of um, predatory insects and animals and stones it cannot grow properly but if the field is clear and we've given proper water and the plant grows. So bhakti lata bija, we have a simple, grateful, humble heart. 
and we have proper association and the process of hearing and chanting very rapidly the seed of devotion grows within our hearts so many of these people had all different ideas and they were seeking God in so many different ways or asking so many things from God the Bhagavad Gita tells there are four types of people that approach him those who are in poverty who are seeking God for economic relief because for family people poverty hunger, lack of shelter lack of medical care can really make a person miserable another reason is because people are in distress whether they're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're middle class or any other situation the nature of this world is suffering could come to anyone at any moment we are all vulnerable whatever our situation whatever our in, our economic educational political status may be even whatever religious um, affiliation we may have still we're subjected to sufferings of our own body and mind inevitably disease, distress, pain, old age. As long as we have physical bodies, birth, old age, disease, and death will come. And we're subject to the sufferings of other people, could be loved ones, could be relatives, could be enemies, could be partners, could be antagonists, suffer of terrorism, betrayal, cheating, lying. And other beings includes insects and birds and snakes and any kind of living being we're always subject wherever we are whoever we are and the misery is caused by natural disturbances too much heat too much cold tsunamis earthquakes windstorms snowstorms drought floods So people approach God because they're in distress because they're struggling because they're suffering they want relief and some approach the supreme or demigods whatever it may be because they are seeking uh, answers to questions they're really curious they really want to know they want to understand why is the world like this what's happening 
And then there are those who approach God because they genuinely are seeking the truth. And ultimately we have to come to that platform before we could actually enter into true God consciousness. But Krishna tells of all these different four people or types of people, they're all approaching ultimately the same. And by good association and proper connection to dharma, they will all eventually reach the same destination. So Srila Prabhupada was very, very eager that we go to the Kumbha Mela because there are millions of such open-hearted, simple people looking to God for something. And if we can give them the true conclusions of Bhagavad Gita as it is, the wisdom of the great Acharyas, an understanding truly of who God is, Krishna says, Mahbhaktiya Mam Abhijanati. It is through devotion that I could be understood as I am. In this age of Kali, which is an ocean of faults, where there's so much quarrel and fighting and hypocrisy and suffering, so many problems, so many complications. But there's one special benediction that if we learn through the association of true devotees of the Lord how to chant God's holy names, we can attain the supreme liberation. What is that supreme liberation? The Purusharta Siromani. Most people approach God or religion for economic development, sense gratification, religiosity, or liberation. But the Srimad Bhagavatam categorizes all these four goals as Kaitava Dharma, sub religious principles. The true goal of life the true perfection of religion, dharma, savai pung sang puro dharma yato bhakti radhokshaje, ahoitaki aprati hatagyatna suprasidati, is that which awakens unconditional, unmotivated, transcendental loving service to the Supreme Lord. Prema Bhakti, Krishna Prem, love for Krishna. That is the highest supreme perfection of liberation. And simply by chanting the holy names with a simple and humble heart, under proper guidance, that perfection is accessible to everyone. Srila Prabhupada wanted us there at Kumbha Mela to share this message because there are so many receptive people opening their hearts to receive. 
and what we have received let us share that was Srila Prabhupada's spirit next actually this week is Janmashtami the day that Krishna appears within this world and I was asked just a few minutes ago <laughs> to speak about how we can prepare for Janmashtami but I was given no time to prepare <laughs> But my experience is that's kind of the way Radha Gopinath Temple has always been. (laughs) (laughs) At least for me. Krishna tells in Bhagavad Gita, Yada yada hi dharma siyakla nirbhavati bharata abhyutanam dharmanat tadatmanam sirjamya. Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chaduskritam dharma samstapanartaya sambhavami juge juge. That in order to protect the pious, in order to annihilate the miscreants and reestablish religious principles, I come to this world, I incarnate myself again and again. Whenever there is a rise in a religion and a decline in true religion, the Lord comes. And this is the basis of all the great true religions throughout history that span all over the world. When we understand this principle, we can understand the unity of true dharma, sanatana dharma. In Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is explained in a most intimate way why Krishna personally came. At the end part of the Dwapar Yuga, of this particular Yuga cycle, he was thinking. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita by Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda's mercy we are actually able to not only hear Krishna's words but we're able to hear Krishna's thoughts that's a very elevated experience Krishna was thinking I have come to the world so many times through so many incarnations Jayadev Goswami um, has begun his Gita Govinda with Didas Avatar where he describes ten primary incarnations Matsya Kurma uh, Varaha Narasingha Vamana, Parasaram, Ram, Buddha, Balaram, and after some time, Kalki. And in this Das Avatar, he's revealing that 
Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. The Srimad Bhagavatam tells Krishna is the source of all the various incarnations of the Lord. Yeah, we read in in other scriptures how the Lord appeared in so many various ways, directly or indirectly, to reveal Dharma, to save and protect his devotees. someone could go up and protect the devotees from that sound. Srinathji huh? Prabhu is always managing very expertly. <laughs> With every tapping of that hammer you will be humbled. You don't mind me saying so. <laughs> so Krishna has come in so many ways, in so many forms. The Srimad Bhagavatam uh, describes so many more incarnations of the Lord beyond just these ten who have come for particular purposes according to time, place, and circumstance to fulfill these three purposes to establish the true principles of dharma to protect the innocent and the devotees and to annihilate the asuras but Krishna was thinking God all of these various incarnations is exhibiting to the world the supremacy, the greatness of God, greatness of himself, the all-powerful, the creator, the maintainer, the destroyer of everything that exists, the source of all material and spiritual worlds. But he was thinking that in all of these various systems, in all these incarnations, the Lord attracts the devotees to love him. That's the perfection. In the Bible it is said, the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So love for God is the goal of all of these great avatars. Prahlad loved Narasimhadev. Bali Maharaj loved Vamanadev. Hanuman loved Sri Ramchandra. So he's given love of God. He's given the greatness and the supremacy of God. But he wanted to give something very rare and very special. Love of God that is not weakened by the Aishwarya above. by loving him for being the supreme all-powerful God of all gods. 
in Goloka Vrindavan, the most intimate planet in the spiritual world. Krishna's all the opulences of all the incarnations are fully within Krishna. But something else is revealed beyond. His beauty, his sweetness, his playfulness, his love is so infinitely, limitlessly great that it, it overshadows his supremacy. Krishna wanted to give the world the opportunity to understand what is Vrindavan, what is Goloka. We were speaking just yesterday how Varaha lifted the earth in his tusks and he fought against Hiranyaksha. Hiranyaksha was so strong and he had such mystical powers. Single-handedly, if he was here today, if every army with all of our nuclear arsenals in the whole world made alliances with each other against him, <laughs> he would crush everyone. That's Hiranyaksha. And Varaha, just by, just by touching him with his hoof, he killed him. That's God. And then Hiranyaksha was only the younger brother of Hiranyakashipu. He was even more powerful. He was so angry and so violent and so evil that if he just raised one of his eyebrows, not both of them, just one, <laughs> in anger, every demigod of the heavenly worlds would tremble in fear. We can't even get our own children or wife to, <laughs> to take us seriously when we raise our eyebrows. <laughs> That's how powerful he was. And Nursingadev just played with him like a cat with a little mouse <laughs> and liberated him quite effortlessly, actually, just to protect little five year old Prahlad. And then we read about Kurma. Kurma was not an ordinary turtle. When Bhagavan wants to become turtle, He's different. The width of his shell was 800,000 miles, not kilometers, miles. So we read about Parasuram. All of these great avatars, they became their original source 
and all of their powers and all of their opulences were fully within Makanchor, baby Krishna, who's stealing butter from Yashoda. When Yashoda raises her stick because he was stealing butter, he runs away. And when she catches him, he cries and pleads, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. Now within Krishna, Narasimha, Varaha, Parasaram, Ramchandra, and Yashoda Maya is not a mystic yogi, she's just a gopi. And she never had any intention to ever touch Krishna with the stick. She would just show it to him, just so he would, to, so he would take her lesson seriously. That is Krishna. At Kupamela we were um, discussing how the demigods and the demons, they all came together to churn the ocean of milk. Because the asuras headed by Bali, who we just saw a few minutes ago, because he pleased his guru at one point, <laughs> Shukracharya, he got special blessings. And Indra, the leader of the demigods, he, he was proud and somehow or other he made an aparad to his guru, Brihaspati. So because of that, he lost blessings. And due to that situation, the demons completely conquered the demigods, and the demigods were homeless, helpless. They couldn't compete. So they approached Lord Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and begged him for mercy. Please help us. We've lost our service. We've lost our wealth. We've lost our prestige. We've lost everything. Now Vishnu could just give. But if he just gives, we don't learn lessons so well. He gives us a service by which we could be transformed. He said, right now, it says God helps those who help themselves. But helping ourselves means to follow God's instructions. To follow his guidance with the right intention. He said the asuras are too powerful now. So you should make a truce. Become allies. Because there's something that you both want you want to be happy <laughs> you have very different ways of becoming happy but you want power, you want strength you want health you want long life if you churn the ocean of milk neither of you can do it alone you have to do it together with the strength of all your combined forces if you churn the ocean of milk Nectar will come. Nectar practically that will make you immortal. So even though the demigod, the demons conquered the universe, 
they wanted nectar because they didn't have that. <laughs> you always need something else. So they agreed. And they made a whole elaborate arrangement with Mount, actually Vishnu gave all the instructions. Get Mount Mandara, Mandara Mountain as the churning rod, Vashuki as the rope. So they started. And the Srimad Bhagavatam tells all the various challenges that took place. It was really difficult. They were really struggling. Mandara Mountain, they couldn't move it. Their hands were being crushed, their limbs were being dislocated. Many of them were dying, tried to move it. So they all cried, Vishnu, help! And he just came and effortlessly lifted it and put it. So then they started turning, and then the mountain started sinking, sinking, lower, lower in the water, and they were trying to hold it up, and they couldn't hold it up, and it kept sinking and sinking, and Vishnu, help us! And Kurma, Krishna came as a beautiful turtle and supported it on his shell, on his back. And this was a big mountain, bigger than any mountains that we have in this little earth planet today. Could you imagine on your back? But Kurma was so incredibly gigantic that as they were churning the old mountain, he felt that he purposely arranged to have an itch on his back so it would be scratched. <laughs> so it felt really nice. So they were pleasing the Lord by doing it. And then the mountain started going like this and Vishnu came on the top and Ajita and held it. And Vishnu warned, so many things will come as you're churning, but don't be distracted by any of them or you won't get the nectar. So Airavata came out and poison came out and Shiva saved everyone from poison to show that the greatest, most pleasing service one can offer to the Supreme Lord is to accept inconvenience out of compassion for others. The Srimad Bhagavatam tells there is nothing that pleases Krishna more than this. And to accept even suffering for the well-being of others, especially the spiritual well-being of others. Lakshmi came. Surabhi came. So many things. But they kept churning. They were dividing everything up, but they kept churning. And finally... The culmination of all this incredible planning, all this incredible efforts and work and prayer is Danvantari came out of the ocean of milk. Lord Vishnu himself, he was carrying a golden pot of Amrit nectar. So everyone wanted it. And the demons, the asuras, they grabbed it and ran away. <laughs> and the devas were really disturbed because they worked so hard. The idea is they were going to get strong, but now their enemies had all of it. And there was no way they were going to share anything with them now that they had it. 
And Don Bonterry just let him take it. He didn't fight. He was just holding. They just grabbed it. What to do? <laughs> so they cried out to Lord Vishnu. Now all the demigods had to do was just say, okay, let's drink it. But they couldn't drink it. Not a single one could get a drop of it. For a very instructive reason. Each one felt they should have the honor of having it first. So no one would allow anyone else to get it. So they were all on the same side. Right? They're all on the same they all had the same purpose. And all of them could have the same benefits. But because of their false egos, no. I should be first. I'm more beautiful than all the rest of you. No, I'm more powerful than all the rest of you. I'm more learned than all the rest of you. I'm more intelligent than all the rest of you. And they kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And no one would allow anybody to drink anything due to envy and arrogance and jealousy Greed. So as devotees, we should understand that how we share with each other is how we're going to benefit. If we try to just put ourselves in the center, if we put ourselves in the center, even among our own devotees, we deprive ourselves of actually receiving the nectar of the blessings of the Lord. Lord Chaitanya told, Gopi Bharatur Padakamalayora Dasa 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 Anudas. If we want to actually be devotees, doesn't just mean the kind of haircut or the kind of dress or what you put around your neck. Those things are have importance. But they're only really to improve inspire us and facilitate actually having the character of a devotee. Which means to be the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant Anudas. The very small servant of all servants. That's a Vaishnava. It's not just what you have or what you know. It's how you serve how you take yourself out of the center, put others in the center. And there's a graphic example of what happens when we put ourselves in the center. Nobody, they worked so hard for the nectar, they were all on the same team, but they wouldn't let anyone have it. And then Mohini Morty came, because the, the, demigods prayed save us once they drink it then we're finished forever so Krishna appeared as a beautiful lady and glanced upon all the asuras and her glance because this was Vishnu in the form of a beautiful lady she was really beautiful nobody had ever seen anyone so beautiful and when she glanced on them she had this potency or just a moment glance, they were thinking, she loves me. <laughs> she loves only me. No one else. There are so many heroes here, but she only loves me. She's so intelligent. <laughs> 
she's seeing who I am, who I really am, something that nobody else except me knows. But she sees it. That was their egos. She was just completely, totally um, satisfying their false egos with a glance. Yes? Because everyone wants to be the greatest and the most attractive and the and with one glance, yes, she knows. So there, it wasn't just their senses, it was their egos. It was completely infatuated. And they all went to her and said, you decide who drinks the nectar first. She said, you don't even know who I am. I just got here and you don't know where I'm coming from or who my parents are or anything like that. How can you trust me with such valuable... And they all laughed and said, no, no, we are... We, we trust you. Because they were absolutely 100% faithfully convinced she will give it all to them. That's what they all thought. So they gave her the nectar. And then she walked right over to where the demigods were sitting and started pouring it in their mouths. And the, the, the asuras, they were so infatuated by her, they didn't say anything. Because <laughs> they didn't want to displease her. This is how Krishna can bewilder people. And it's a long story. Rahu tried, but he didn't. He wasn't very successful. And then after she gave all the nectar like that to so many, then she became Vishnu and went away. <laughs> and then there was another fight, and they were fighting over what was left, and it dropped in different places, and Kumbh Mela's came. And like <laughs> it's a pretty long story, actually. But anyways, what is that nectar? Don Bantari, he, he, he just let them take it. They fought over it. Even after they drank it, none of them were really very happy. They were still had the same old challenges. They were just a little stronger. They lived a little longer. Their health was a little better. But the same difficulties of material existence were there for them. But in the tenth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, there's another story of churning, of milk. And that was Yashodamai. She was churning milk. Early in the morning, she was working really hard too. She was perspiring. And her sari was becoming loose because she was really trying to make this. She was churning milk to make butter for Krishna. But the difference is when the demigods and the demons were churning, they were churning so that they could get something from Vishnu for themselves. But when Yashodamai was churning, she was not churning to get something from the milk. She was putting 
all her love and devotion into the milk so that Krishna could enjoy. Bhakti Rasamrita. She was putting the nectar of her love in the milk. And her love was so sweet. The nectar that we that, that was there at the time of the ocean of milk, Vishnu didn't care for that nectar. He was just giving it to those, all those devas and asuras. But the nectar that Yashodamai put in this, that she created by churning the milk, Krishna became a thief to, to get that milk. Makanchora. This is such an intimate understanding of the absolute truth. He becomes a thief to steal it. He craves for it. He longs for it. The love of his devotee. So this is the ultimate churning of milk. With love. And Krishna, not only did he taste more and more and more, but it was so completely satisfying to him, this Amrit, Rasamrit, that he wanted to share it. He called his coward boyfriends and he was giving the butter to them. And then he was giving the butter to the monkeys. Now this is something really special. It shows what Vrindavan is. To the devas, he gave the nectar of immortality, this heavenly nectar. But he cared nothing for it himself. But the nectar that he longed for and yearned for, the nectar of Prem, the ecstasy of the love of his devotee. Krishna was conquered by that nectar. And he shared that with the monkeys. He gave, he gave freely to the monkeys of Vrindavan something limitlessly hundreds of billions and trillions of times more sweet than what he gave the demigods. That is Vrindavan. And not only Yashoda, but all the different gopis in Vrindavan, they were all churning milk to make butter for Krishna. And they were all churning, and in their churning, they were putting their love and devotion. And Krishna, Balaram, and the gopas they would go to each and every house of every one of those gopis to steal their butter. Krishna's Bhaktivatsal. He's conquered by the love of his devotees. This is Vrindavan. The cowherd boys they don't see Krishna as God. 
they just see Krishna as Krishna and they just love him because he is Krishna describes in Srimad Bhagavatam that Krishna sees peacocks they're singing they're dancing and one of the boys imitates a peacock just to make Krishna happy and he starts dancing and moving and making sounds like a peacock and then Krishna tells all the cowherd boys just to make them happy they, they tell him Krishna you become peacock you dance like peacock so just for their pleasure he starts dancing like a peacock and everybody's gathered around him clapping and clapping and even the peacocks come <laughs> and they come around him and they start dancing for him and he's dancing for them and they give him his their feathers as 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 an as a uh, gesture of love they give krishna peacock feather and krishna is so overwhelmed oh the peacocks like me so much they gave me a peacock feather he puts it in his hair and puts it on top of his head as his crown. For him, the love of a peacock in the form of an offering of a feather is, is limitlessly more valuable than gold or diamond or emerald or ruby or any other type of precious crown. Yes. Vishnu wears, demigods wear beautiful crowns. Vishnu wears beautiful crowns. Krishna just wears a feather <laughs> of a bird <laughs> because it's offered with pure love. The simplicity of the love of Vrindavan. Krishna plays games. Yesterday we were speaking work. Krishna told the cowherd boys, we're going to have two sides and we're going to compete against each other and the 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 losers have to carry the winners on their shoulders just to show everyone that I have lost. Yes. And then he's told the cowherd boys, you choose who will be the leaders of both sides. And of course they chose Krishna and Balaram. So here's Krishna and Balaram are on opposing sides. And Krishna's side lost. So he carried Sri Dhamma on his shoulders. And Sri Dhamma saying, I defeated Krishna. And Krishna saying, Sri Dhamma defeated me. <laughs> they would wrestle. When Krishna was in the coils of Kaliya, none of the Brijabhasis were thinking, he's the supreme personality of Godhead. Who cares about this snake? Everyone was thinking, Gopal, he's so soft and is so tender, his body. The gopis would think they would, they would be in anxiety during the day because Krishna's feet were so soft. And they would think when he goes out to herd the calves or the cows, then if he steps on even a little stone that's not even sharp, it might hurt his feet. And now here he is, a massive serpent with many hoods that's totally poisonous, 
has Krishna imprisoned in his coils. Now some of you, if you see a poison snake, do you get, is there some sort of change in your mind? If you're walking down the street or through a field and all of a sudden (laughs) Cobra lifts his hoods and is staring right at you in the eyes and he's only about five feet away from you his tongue is flickering and his fangs come out and he's going (laughs) what do you get scared (laughs) be honest I know you're all fearless because you took shelter (laughs) but still now if you're a mother and you love your child more than you love yourself and the snake is right there in front of your little baby (laughs) you're even more scared yes then it's yourself well more than anybody could love anything or anyone the Brijabhasis love Krishna so in Krishna, he's not just you know, Kaliya. He was gigantic. And he had such quantities of poison in him. Just by his breathing, any bird that flew overhead would die immediately. And he had Krishna entrapped. And the gopas and the gopis young and old they're all looking at Krishna and crying and falling unconscious Nanda Maharaj was about to jump in with all the other cowherd men to fight the snake there was no chance that they could do anything against Kaliya but Balaram he stopped them and he was thinking in his mind because he was the only one who knew Krishna's powers but even sometimes he would become when Bakasura swallowed Krishna it describes even Balaram fell unconscious this is Brindavan (laughs) so so Balaram he was thinking about Kaliya he said in my in my form of Sheshanaga Krishna never plays with me like this but now he's playing with this insignificant little water snake called Kaliya. <laughs> but the Brijabhasis, they were... Uh, Krishna was putting them in this situation just to churn their love. Just to churn the nectar of their love. So demigods and demons they churn the ocean for nectar and Yashodamai and all the gopis they churn the butter and put their nectar in the difference is one is is putting nectar in and the other wants to get the nectar out Lord Chaitanya says, I don't want anything from you, Krishna, not wealth or sense gratification or fame or prestige or even liberation. I just want to please you. I want to love you. I want to serve you unconditionally. 
So they were churning for Krishna's pleasure. And when Krishna was in Kaliya, and when Krishna would be in these situations, through doing so, he was churning the hearts of the devotees so the nectar of their love would just become deeper and deeper and more manifested, more intensified. This is Brindavan. And the gopis, Raghunath Das Goswami, he writes that Krishna enjoys much more than even the greatest, most um, proficient scholars of Vedanta who are chanting Vedic hymns. He enjoys more when the old Brijabhatsi women chastise him. Why? Because it's with such intimacy. They're not thinking of him as God. But the residents of Vrindavan, they've already fully, totally, comprehensively realized God. The opulences of God. It's not that they lack something. They have the maximum of realization of the powers and opulences of the absolute truth. But because of their love, Krishna covers all that by a power that's infinitely greater than his own powers. And that's his sweetness, his beauty, his charm, his playfulness. And therefore, they just, they dance with Krishna. They play with Krishna. Mother Yashoda is thinking, if I don't feed Krishna, he will die. Nanda Maharaj is thinking, if I don't teach him a good lesson, then he'll grow up wrong. Nanda and Yashoda, if I don't hold his finger when he's a little baby, he'll never learn how to walk properly. And the gopis, they're, they're just remembering his sweet words, his sweet glances, to dance with him. You can't dance with the absolute truth. You only bow down. But the gopis dance because they see him as Shamsundar, as Gopinath, as Gopijanaballava. So the sweetness of this intimate love where Krishna becomes subordinate to the love of his devotees, Krishna wanted to give that opportunity to the people of the world. So he decided, I will personally appear in my original form of Vrindavan Chandra Krishna to reveal my pastimes to the world. And he came with Sri Radha and Nanda and Yashoda and the Gopas and the Gopis and the Suravis and the Yamuna River descended from the spiritual world and the Kalpabriksha trees descended from the spiritual world 
all to assist Krishna in his beautiful pastimes, just to attract our hearts. Janmashtami is very special. It's the celebration of Krishna coming for this purpose. And how to prepare ourselves for Janmashtami? This is such a long subject. And I've already run run out of time. (laughs) But let us just briefly, at least, that's my intention, briefly, (laughs) see how the Janmashtami Leela unfolded. According to Srimad Bhagavatam and the commentaries of great Acharyas, it didn't come easy. Krishna could have just come down. <laughs> but Devaki and Vasudevi, he, he arranged by his own sweet will for Kamsa to put them in prison. Yes? Now, if you're a father and a mother and you're in prison and you know that Kamsa is going to kill your children as soon as they're born, why would you have children? Because they loved them. They loved dearly every one of their children. When you have a child in your womb and you're waiting and then you see that little baby, you fall in love. At least Swamis don't have that experience, but that's what we hear. <laughs> and that's what we could feel through our theoretical understandings. Why would they have children when they know Kamsa's going to kill it? It's making very special effects to (laughs) add to the suspense. Because they knew Krishna was going to be their eighth child. So they had to have all these other children (laughs) just to facilitate Krishna's appearance. They endured so much. And Krishna appeared at the darkest time at midnight during the rainy season <laughs> in a prison cell. But before he came, our Acharyas explained six children were killed by Kamsa consecutively. And these six children represent the enemies of devotion. Marichi is the personification of the mind. And these six children in their previous lives were the six children. They were Asuras. They were demons who were the sons of Marichi. And they represent Kama, lust, Krodha, anger, Loba, Greed, Mada, uh, um, Moha, which means illusion and arrogance, madness, Matsara, envy. These qualities, unless we remove them from our hearts, 
Krishna will not appear within our hearts. And how are they removed? Describes Devaki represents bhakti. And Kamsa represents fear of material existence. So when a devotee has fear of maya or material existence and in that takes shelter of Krishna very seriously. Sometimes Srila Prabhupada would say the problem with all of you is you don't have enough fear of maya. We play with fire and then we get burnt and we wonder why is Krishna doing this to me? It's like a mother tells her child don't put your hand in fire and the child sticks the hand in fire and gets burnt and then says to the mother why did you do this to me? You started the fire. <laughs> That's us. You know, why are we suffering? And we blame God. Krishna gives us all good instruction. But we play with Maya, we get burnt, and then we... So we should actually have respect. Daivi yeshu gunamayi mama mayaturati. When we understand how the material world operates, then we take shelter of the Lord. And in taking shelter of the Lord by Krishna's grace... We can conquer over lust and anger and envy and arrogance and greed and illusion. And then Balaramji, who represents the original guru. Then the guru comes and he actually prepares our heart for Krishna's arrival. That the guru comes, the shiksha gurus, diksha gurus, he or she's, they come to, by their instructions, by their example, and by the grace they carry through parampara. So to prepare for Janmastami. we understand that Krishna will appear in our heart to the degree we take shelter, to the degree we surrender. And surrender is not just an, a, a concept. It's an, it's an internal intention to put Krishna in the center of my life and to take my own egoistic selfishness out of the center of my life. And then that has to be expressed through the way we, the way we act, the way we speak, and especially the way we deal with one another. Krishna tells Tatratishtami Narada Yatragayanti Madbhakta. Wherever my devotees are sincerely together to hear and chant my glories, I will be there.
So to prepare for Janmashtami, we want to unite our own hearts as a way of, as an expression of taking shelter, surrendering, and pleasing Krishna. We unite in our eagerness to hear Harikata together, in our eagerness to perform Sankirtan together, and in our eagerness to serve together. And one of the greatest services is in sharing with each other the nectar of devotion and in sharing with the world. In Janmashtami, when we all come together to share our gratitude for Krishna's appearance within this world, to give this great benediction, And what pleases Krishna most when we share, when we receive Krishna ourselves, when we share with each other, and when we share with the whole world. Srila Prabhupada would say, every single person who comes to our temple is Krishna's special guest and should be treated accordingly. That's how we surrender. That's one of the ways. By Prabhupada said, just accept what I've given you with all your heart and share it with others. First we share with each other and then as a community we share it with all others. Today, according to the Vaishnav calendar or the Titi is actually the day that Srila Prabhupada boarded the Jalatuta. Fifty years ago on this day according to the Vedic calendar Srila Prabhupada began his historic journey Just a couple days ago, by Vedic calendar, 50 years ago, he was he went to Mayapur to receive the blessings of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, Gadadhar Pandit, Srivas, Adwaita Prabhu, and Shantipur. Then he returned to Calcutta and boarded Jaladuta. Four people came with him. Three from the, from the Skindia Steam and Navigation Company and his son, Vrindavan Chandra. And on the Western calendar, 50th anniversary, which was August 13th, we had big celebration <coughs> in Netaji Indoor Stadium about morning and evening about over 30,000 people came in the morning session Srila Prabhupada's son Vrindavan Chandra Day 
came and he told his remembrances of seeing Srila Prabhupada off on the Jaladuta. And then afterward, he was speaking privately to His Holiness Bhakti Charu Swami and myself. And between the two, his public talk and private, he explained how he went on the Jaladuta with Srila Prabhupada. And then Srila Prabhupada, he he just saw how helpless his father was in the sense he had. According to Vrindavan Chandra, Prabhupada had 40 rupees and told him that there's no use of this because nobody wants it outside of India. So he gave it to his son. That's what he said. And he was on the boat for a little while with Prabhupada in a little compartment where Prabhupada was going to stay. And then he came off the boat and the boat started moving. And Vrindavan Chandra said, profusely, uncontrollably, he was crying, crying and crying. He said, I was so proud of my father. He was doing this. But he was so worried. It was practically inconceivable to him that he would ever see him again. 38 days at sea. Srila Prabhupada underwent all these difficulties so that Krishna would appear in our hearts. In fact, he celebrated Janmashtami on Jaladuta. In his diary, he describes how they were they were in the Arabian Sea, several miles outside of Cochin. That was before they were given permission to actually come to the port at Cochin in Kerala. They were just in the middle of the sea. And it was John Mastami. And Srila Prabhupada gave a little lecture to the sailors. <laughs> <laughs> and he cooked a little prasad on the boat, the cargo ship for the sailors. And just he gave a talk, he lifted a little kirtan, and he distributed prasad. And in Srila Prabhupada's mission, in his worldwide mission, that was the first John Mastami. No, we don't hear that any of those sailors got initiated or anything. We don't even know who they are. Captain Pandya, we know his name and his wife. They were, they were very respectful to Srila Prabhupada. I imagine everyone was. Well, very simple. You know, they're all. It's not that they got the day off. They were all just working on a ship, a cargo ship. Cargo ships are really dirty places, too. How many of you have been on cargo ships? Please raise your hand. Hare Krishna. How many have been on the Java Duta? <laughs> well, I sometimes I speak I was in Detroit a few years ago and after my lecture 
this one elderly Indian gentleman came up to me and said, I was captain on Jaladuta for many years. But they would trade off because it was really difficult. He said, I wasn't on the journey that Prabhupada went on, but I was before and after. And he said it was, at that time, 1965, it was already really old and beaten up ship. So that's what Prabhupada celebrated John Mastery. And with full enthusiasm, he's giving a little talk about Krishna's appearance to some sailors <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> They're not even exactly sailors. They're just working, you know. So simple. And a few days later, he had his heart attacks. And 38 days later, he arrived, or, or you know, a month later, he arrived in Boston and New York. So, from that very humble beginning, by his love, by his compassion, now there's hundreds and hundreds of Janmashtami celebrated all over the world. At Radharas Bihari Temple, what Janmashtami they're having. In Delhi, there's like eight gigantic temples with millions of people coming for Janmashtami. In Mayapur, how many people come for Janmashtami? Radhamadav Temple, Brindavan Radhasham Sundar Temple. All over India, all over the world. I was saying just a couple of weeks ago, I just gave a Srimad Bhagavatam class in Moscow, and over 2,500 devotees came. Prabhupada came there alone, spoke to one person. So as we're celebrating Janmashtami tomorrow and we see thousands and thousands of people coming to hear the kirtan, to taste the prasad, to see the darshan of Radha Gopinath, to receive Srila Prabhupada's literatures. And we know what's happening in other parts of Mumbai and, what we, and what's happening all over India and all over the world. We could remember the first John Mastami of Srila Prabhupada's mission was on the Jaladuta. <laughs> and he said he gave a short talk because I guess people weren't like all of you, really eager to hear. They were just working. But you see, Srila Prabhupada had such faith. He had such faith in the holy names of Krishna and such faith in the mercy of his Guru Maharaj and the Parampara. And he wanted to share that. Srila Prabhupada explained when he was on Jaladuta, he knew the Srimad Bhagavatams were there with him. And he had complete faith in the power of the holy names and he had the blessings of his guru. 
and that's how he prepared. So, Janmashtami is a wonderful opportunity to really meditate on why Krishna has come to this world and to feel so deeply, deeply grateful for those who have given us this understanding of why Krishna has come and to receive. And in giving, in giving we receive the most. Is that what you wanted me to talk about? Anything else? Goranga Prabhu is the one who sent me a message. He didn't tell me directly. He sent a message. Talk about preparing for John Mustin. Would you like to say something? I'm so grateful to all of you. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. So, Hare Krishna. Uh, in the year 2005, on the occasion of Radhashtami festival, uh, under the inspiration and desire of His Holiness Radhanath Maharaj, we began the Govindas restaurant. So,